Welcome to Rethink, a podcast focused on the future of skilled nursing. I'm Tim Mullaney, Managing Editor of Skilled Nursing News. I'm joined for this episode by Joel Van Eaton, Executive Vice President of Compliance and Regulatory Affairs at Broad River Rehab. From coming changes to the minimum data set and value-based purchasing to new CMS policies related to psychotropic medications, Joel shares his deep knowledge and expertise about critical compliance and payment issues confronting operators today. Before we get to my conversation with Joel, I'd like to highlight Skilled Nursing News' upcoming Clinical Executive Conference, taking place April 20th in Washington, D.C. This event will bring together clinical and business leaders in skilled nursing to talk about payments, operations, public policy, staffing, and more. The conference will feature speakers from leading providers across the country and is a great opportunity to network and learn from peers in a fast-paced environment. Learn more about the conference at skillednursingnews.com forward slash events. And now my conversation with Joel Van Eaton. Joel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we've got a lot to talk about today, but to begin, I think it'd be great if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of your background and role at Broad River Rehab and maybe give us an idea of what a typical day looks like for you on the job. Sure. I'm a registered nurse by trade. Been um, a licensed nurse in the state of Tennessee here for, oh goodness, more than 20 years. Started off in acute care and psych and uh, and then eventually ended up as an MDS coordinator and then for that company as the director of clinical reimbursement and RAI until I came to work for Broad River Rehab as the EVP of post-acute care regulatory affairs and education. And that job really pulls together everything that I've done up until this point, being able to work with our customers and staff, sort of untangling the complexities, if you will, of state and federal regulation, reimbursement regulation, and uh, helping them with PDPM, Medicaid, CMI, a lot of RAI issues, other regulatory issues that need clarifying, like the COVID waivers, and most recently, uh, just released today, the schizophrenia guidance. So all of these kind of things sort of come together throughout the day as I work with our customers and our staff here at Broad River Rehab. Also uh, oversee the construction of our learning platforms here. We have SNF University and Broad River Rehab Insiders for our customers. I provide primarily regular regulatory updates via a regulatory reminders email series that we produce um, and send out to our customers. Also developing the curriculum for uh, our Broad River Rehab Reflections monthly web presentation, which we do significant amount of information, kind of like what we're going to be talking about today, just uh, in a monthly web format, presentation format. We take the complex issues that show up and unwind them for our customers. And then quarterly, we invite a national audience in. So that kind of keeps you pretty busy. And it's an exciting time. A lot of things going on for us to talk about. Yeah, there are a lot of things for us to talk about. Absolutely. So let's jump in and maybe... We can start with the most timely news, which you already alluded to. We are speaking on the same day that CMS has released really two announcements. One, as you mentioned, having to do with schizophrenia. I'll just try to sum up some of the key points from their announcement here. CMS is going to start audits of uh, whether nursing homes are accurately assessing and coding individuals with a schizophrenia diagnosis for audits that identify facilities with uh, patterns of inaccurately coding residents as having schizophrenia. Both the five-star quality measure rating will be negatively impacted. CMS is going to downgrade the facility's quality measure ratings to one star for audits that reveal inaccurate coding, which obviously will drop their overall star rating. So 
I guess we can start with this aspect of the announcement from CMS this morning. Um, what was your reaction on seeing this news? And as you've been thinking it through so far today, any um, sort of key takeaways for you? Yeah, I don't think anyone was surprised uh, at the announcement um, this morning. Maybe it did catch us a little bit by surprise, really have a heads up that it was going to show up today. But the penalty seems to me was the surprise out of it. So uh, this has been leading up to, or, or other conversation that CMS has been having has been leading up to this sort of action. As we've looked at the effort by CMS and the QIOs to eliminate or reduce antipsychotic medication in nursing homes for a number of years now, even looking at uh, some of the uh, five-star preview reports, which by the way, were also uh, released today at CASPER, noting one of the facilities as a late adopter. So that's been communication that's been happening for some time now trying to press nursing homes to reduce antipsychotic medications. The penalty piece of this, though, for me, seemed to be uh, a bit overbearing, and and it may just be because we didn't really see this coming until today. But reducing the overall quality measure, long-stay quality rating, downgrading it for to one star for six months, of course, will have a negative effect on the overall rating, as you said a minute ago. Short-stay quality measure rating will be suppressed for six months, and then the long-stay antipsychotic quality measure will be suppressed for 12 months. That's a long time to have that uh, quality measure be impacted by that for something that can be remedied. So let's hope that it does have the impact that CMS uh, intends for it to have. It's interesting that the conditions of participation, as they've been updated recently, as well as the REI manual, have really pressed us into this. And as we move through the changes to MDS version 1.18.11 coming up this fall. Clearly, the uh, new section or revised section N uh, will require us to have an indication there. So this will press the issue even more, I think, in terms of coding antipsychotic medication and that there be an appropriate indication for that according to the guidelines, uh, the requirements out of state operations manual for that evidence-based information to be available to show that that resident true has a, has a true schizophrenia. So Interesting, very interesting. And and as we send information out to our uh, customers today, reminding them of how important this is and to pay attention to really the one thing I think that drives all of us in this industry, and that is to put the, the resident at the center. And I think that will win the day in terms of being able to comply with this new regulatory guidance. Great. Yeah. Uh, maybe one follow-up that occurred to me as I was listening to, the, to your answer there was, do you think that, I know that this this move seems to have come out of an OIG report that specifically focused on this issue of schizophrenia as it relates to antipsychotic use. But I think another trend we've observed is an increasing focus on the behavioral health care needs generally of the nursing home population and the ability of skilled nursing providers, nursing home providers to meet those needs. Do you think this is an area that in terms of compliance, we're going to see more action from CMS in the coming years to ensure that the behavioral health needs sort of writ large are being identified and met? Yeah, I think that's some good insight to think about that just from the conditions of participation and the emphasis on that aspect. Uh, More recent updates to the condition of participation with trauma-informed care and those sorts of things, really honing in on the behavioral health aspect of care in the nursing homes. It's also interesting, just as a general trend, as the push for home and community-based services has materialized, certainly through the COVID-19 pandemic, but even before that, certainly state of Tennessee, it's been a big push here uh, from the Medicaid side of things, developing the infrastructure for home and community-based services. 
has led to a different sort of acuity that ends up long-term in skilled nursing facilities. And so that being said, just anecdotally and, and seeing the way that behavior units have materialized, memory care units have materialized, and the acuity of patients, patients that are long-term, truly long-term, those behavior health needs are something certainly that have risen to the surface. So I think you're right. I think I think this is the beginning of, not the beginning of, I guess I wouldn't say, because this has been a trend for the uh, schizophrenia piece of it, but uh, I think overall for behavioral health, something that nursing homes are definitely going to have to be paying attention to or much more close attention to as time moves forward. Yeah. So let's talk about the second piece of the CMS news from this morning, which is that the agency plans to start publicly posting citations under dispute to Care Compare. That's to start on January 25th. And the citations will be publicly displayed, even if they're under dispute, but they won't be included in the five-star quality rating calculation until the dispute is complete. So same question to you here, just trying to get your uh, sort of snap impressions of this part of the announcement from this morning, um, given that you just had a few hours to start to digest the announcement. Yeah, I think this was less of a surprise to me here. I think in the end, uh, this is, as a consumer, something that consumers, uh, or CMS at least intends for consumers to, to utilize and consume in terms of information related to a nursing home. I think this, this is probably apropos uh, information for that piece of nursing home compare or care compare now as it's called. What I, what I think is interesting, and as we watch these things change and morph on Care Compare, and as they've made changes to Care Compare over the last year, couple of years, still it's a complex conglomeration of information, if you will. You've got five star ratings out there, you've got staffing, and you've got you've got the survey process or health inspections. Um, and unless you really understand fully how those complex pieces work together, that five star rating that shows up out there may or may not be the thing that best represents that nursing home. If you dig deep into the, the health care citations or the, the survey citations portion, inspections portion of Care Compare currently, you can dig to your heart's content. I mean, it goes on forever and ever. And again, there's a lot of language out there, skilled nursing facility ease, if you will, the surveyors writing and those sorts of things. So while I think it's important to have this kind of information out there, I think it only adds to the complexity and makes that five-star rating even more a complex of an idea for people to digest. Uh, even for people that are in the skilled nursing facility world, we do deep dives into facility five-star ratings all the time with our customers. And it's amazing to me, even at the provider level, how much information still needs to be understood about what, what is out there and how it works and how that all fits together. And so I think it's important to have as much information out there for transparency, as CMS has said in this memo today. I, I think it does add to the complexity, and, and we'll see. I mean, it may be helpful. It may not. We'll see what happens. So the time has come to talk about the topic that I thought we were going to start with today because it's really on everyone's mind, which is the MDS changes set to take effect in October. And I think it's fair to say, correct me if I'm wrong, the elimination of Section G is the most dramatic change. So I'm curious, maybe we can start there about maybe what are the biggest unanswered questions in your mind related to the deletion of, of G? Yeah, I think it's, uh, the, the fact is uh, all of my questions are unanswered <laughs> at this particular point because the CMS put the cart before the horse, it feels like, in a lot of ways here 
by uh, releasing the uh, comprehensive data set in September and then the, the full item set on Christmas Eve, essentially. And so it's it's interesting uh, here. You say that Section G, and, and, I, and I agree with you in many ways that Section G is the most uh, significant or dramatic change. I think the spades, maybe that we'll talk about here, I hope in our conversation today, some are probably equal to that in regards to the breadth of how that is being seen by CMS and implemented by CMS across the post-acute care setting. But as far as Section G is concerned, I think the things we have to think about related to this are broad-reaching. The ripple effects are huge, and that's why my questions are unanswered. Uh, I've been on several of the or a few of the open-door forums here recently asking for training materials. And of course, we have been promised training materials in quarter two this year. We're all looking forward to those. And so some of the things I think we need to be thinking about and paying attention to and things questions that I have still really relate to the, the big areas that Section G will impact, like the care area assessments. We think about triggers for CAW 5, CAW 6, CAW 11, CAW 16, all rely on item, items from Section G. They can't be triggered without those Section G items. And so how will that happen? In, in one of the Open Door Forums, CMS mentioned sort of quickly a crosswalk, a G to GG crosswalk. Well, um, those of, the, of us that teach this and, and know this and do it, understand that there is no quick crosswalk between the rule of three and usual functioning. So we're going to have to know more about that, and hopefully CMS will provide that information to us. Care area assessments, care area resources, same thing. There are 17 care area resources that will need to be revised uh, in some way because they have some reference to Section G, and there's only three of the current uh, care area assessments that don't rely explicitly on Section G in some way. And so we need instructions on that. And I think that's one area where a lot of people are asking, you know, what's going to happen. We, we did a, a conference call, national conference call last year, late uh, last year, October, I think, when the data set came out, did an item by item sort of breakdown of the changes. And most of the questions we got on that conference call were, where are the instructions for completing these? <laughs> and so we're waiting on that. And this will be something that we're all going to have to learn and grow into, understand that change from G to GG in relationship to the care area assessments. Also, the quality measure specifications, including risk adjustments. I mean, we could, we could go on for a long time about this, but we just think about the, the quality measures that impact five-star five star rating. Three of them rely specific on section, uh, specifically on Section G in order to be calculated. And so those uh, are going to have to be retooled in some way. Those three, by the way, are the percent of residents whose ability to move independently worsened. That's a long-stay quality measure. Uh, also, the long-stay percentage of residents whose need for help with daily activities has increased. And then the short-stay percentage of residents who improved in their ability to move around on their own. Again, these can only be calculated by Section G data. And then furthermore, the uh, section that we deal with in relationship to high-risk residents with pressure ulcers is adjusted with covariates coded in Section G. So another area uh, related to the five-star rating that we're going to have to deal with in relationship to Section G being part of that algorithm and that calculation. The other question I have about the quality measures specifically is the transition period. So once we move from G to GG, rule of three to usual functioning, what is the meaningful way that we'll be able to look at a four-quarter average of these quality measures? Is this something that we'll have instruction on, or are they just going to continue to look at the percentages and add those percentages together until they're all four quarters percentages that have been adjusted by Section GG? In my mind, at least at this point, those comparisons can't be made. So 
we'll see. We'll see what CMS gives us on that. Yeah. Also, the staffing acuity adjustments, as we know, rely on RUG scores from the STRIVE study, the Staff Time Resource Intensity Verification Project, to calculate the staffing stars. And without Section G, you can't calculate RUG scores. And so what is CMS going to do when we don't have Section G anymore? If there's a crosswalk, then I guess we'll learn that. But the fact is, that's a question we still have. How's that going, How's that going to work? And then the five-star rating itself, based on the current staffing, the quality measure algorithms without Section G, it can't be calculated at this particular point. So big, big issues related to that and certainly a, a learning curve of understanding for us to know how that's going to work out. And then the other, I think, maybe even bigger than all of that is the states that rely on a CMI calculation for their uh, Medicaid reimbursement typically use a legacy rug-type system. And so states like Tennessee, for instance, are going to have to make a choice about how they'll calculate their case mix indexes absent Section G. These methodologies currently rely on uh, RUGS-based CMI calculations, again, which require Section G. And it's interesting, uh, there was a letter that went out to state Medicaid directors last year, made the following statement. So I'm just going to make this quote here. CMS will no longer support the Medicare RUG system after October 1st, 2023. And then further in that letter, it says, absent available RUGS, MDS data from, C- from CMS, states will likely have to consider collecting data independently from providers to support RUGS state plan payment methodology. So states are going to have to decide what they're, gonna, what they're going to do with this. And this is a big, uh, a big deal. Been contacting uh, our folks at the state of Tennessee, and they still haven't given us any definitive word as to what's going to happen here in Tennessee. I know of three states currently that are making the transition. Wisconsin uh, did this last year. Uh, Ohio is in the process of setting that transition up, and they've made it very clear they are going to change over to a PDPM construct. And Illinois is in a uh, a five-month period of transition at this point. So the only three states that I'm aware of that have made that decision. So that's another big change. So a lot to think about, a lot of questions that still need to be answered related to what will happen when Section G is no longer available to us. Absolutely. A ton of questions, obviously. Um, And you brought up uh, spades as a a whole other issue. So let's delve into that a little bit, the spades being the standardized patient assessment data elements. Uh, Talk us through your main concerns related to this. So if you've had an opportunity to take a look at the data set that was released in September and then again in December, the biggest portion of the update to the um, uh, MDS uh, has to do with spades. Um, So we got 58 pages of MDS, now 51 currently, and that will increase to 58 based on the addition of what are called SPADE, Standardized Patient Assessment Data Elements. And this is a, a kind of a term that's sort of, sort of universally used for the elements that will be utilized in each of the post-acute care uh, tools for skilled nursing facility. Of course, we have the MDS, Home Health has the OASIS, the inpatient rehab facilities have the IRFPI, and then the LTACs have the uh, Long-Term Care Hospital Data Set, or LCDS. Each one of those tools is being revised and revamped to include what are considered to be standardized patient assessment data elements to sort of revolve around the capture of information in three areas. First of all, of course, is the quality reporting program or quality measures. That's a whole other discussion that we could get into, but the quality reporting programs for each of those standardized interoperable data that goes to each uh, assessment tool, each of the tools has been updated and is using the majority 
of these uh, quality measure data elements now. So uh, in relationship to the quality measures, this is standardized data that's also being collected out of the majority of those tools currently. Most of the quality measures that we are uh, collecting in the skilled nursing facility for the quality reporting program are or will be collected out of those tools as well. Uh, also, re- uh, earlier this year, CMS released a, a preliminary report to Congress. It wasn't CMS that did it, but it was a, 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 an organization that released a, a report to Congress, RTI International, on the uh, UPAC or the Unified Post-Acute Care Payment System. And so uh, back to this idea of the spades and where they come from, the Impact Act from 2014 sort of mandated this, quality measures, payment reform, and this payment structure that was designed with uh, standardized patient assessment data elements as well out of all of these tools in order to have a unified payment system that would apply to each of the uh, post-acute care uh, destinations, if you will, will come from standardized data as well, like Section GG, for instance in relationship to how that payment system will work relative to resident characteristics, relative to resident characteristics, not the setting that they're in. So using, using the same type of payment system. But for our purposes today, standardized patient assessment data elements are embedded now in each one of these post-acute care tools. I did a, a, a look through each one of them as I was preparing. In fact, our January uh, reflections call will be titled The Impact of Spades, and it will be specifically about these elements that are now in each of the, each of the uh, assessment tools in each of the post-acute care settings, to be able to have interoperable, standardized information that can be shared in order that we can have uh, good quality care in each of those areas and good outcomes. And so all of this information that is coming to us now from the Impact Acts found its way in each one of these tools. And CMS, in the process from the Impact Act, adopted spades for five categories. Um, and as I mentioned before, these are all in each of the post-acute care tools now that are going to be used. And of course, for us, uh, will begin October 1st this year. So the areas that will be addressed are cognitive function, um, special services, treatments, and interventions medical conditions and comorbidities, impairments, and then other categories as deemed necessary by the secretary. And for us in post-acute care, now that means social determinants of health. And so one of the things I think that we need to remember about the spades, while it does impact our quality measures and eventually uh, most likely will impact payment, it's this area of the, the spades themselves, this interoperable data that can be shared uh, standardized and shared among the post-acute care settings that I think is so important, and particularly this area of social determinants of health. And because social determinants of health is really incorporating a lot of the principles that CMS is forwarding in, in many other areas, a broader range of initiatives that are pursuing things like health equity, health disparities, uh, social determinants of health, and those kinds of things that will become part of what a skilled nursing facility will have to evaluate for and care for uh, in their day-to-day caring of their residents. And so the spades take on a much broader influence in relationship to these broader initiatives that CMS is pursuing. One of the things that we have to remember, we're sort of used to the quality reporting program, the fact that we have to report 100% of the data necessary to calculate these quality measures on at least 80% of the MDSs, and we have to report 100% of the data necessary to calculate the NHSN data as well, or we lose 2% to our market basket update. 
And so these new spades that are coming along this year that increase the MDS to 58 pages will also be included in that threshold. And so 100% of that information will have to be reported on at least 80% of the MDSs, or you will risk losing 2% of your market basket update as well. So important implications for us that CMS wants to uh, press forward with relationship to these other initiatives, and the spades are going to play a very important role with that. That's really helpful. I think important to keep in mind how they fit in, as you said, to the larger plans for post-acute payment. So I want to make sure we get to some operational considerations. I'm curious, given what you have said about the lack of resources so far, can you speak to what you or your team are doing at the moment to prepare for the MDS transition? Uh, Yes, we are uh, trying the best that we can to utilize the tools that we've been given. Fortunately, of course, no REI manual. That's a little bit difficult, but still reminding folks that the data set uh, in its entirety is now available. Also published with the uh, data sets uh, is a change document. I think it's tremendously helpful as well that uh, lists all of the data sets and what items are part of those data sets. One of the things we have to consider also to at least think about is this is still a draft. Um, So it's interesting when you go out there to download uh, the information from the MDS 3.0 website, you'll notice that the the zip file is is labeled as a draft MDS 3.0 version 1.18.1. While the data set itself, when you print it off, doesn't say that. So it's interesting that it's still a draft. It's possible that there's still going to be additions, changes, revisions to it uh, within within the rulemaking process this year. We'll see. But we've also blogged extensively. We've provided uh, a reflections call, as I mentioned before, uh, educational session that dealt specifically with the item-by-item changes in our learning platform so our customers can uh, join in on that and be able to kind of get a heads-up. It's important. I think at this point to become as familiar with the data set and the changes there as possible so that when additional information comes to us, uh, hopefully in quarter two, that we'll be ready as much as we possibly can. But one of the things too that's important to understand about the data set as we as we all know is that even the data set we have currently contains some instructional information embedded within the actual data set itself. And so things like the new PHQ 2 to 9 uh, has specific skip pattern instructions in there for us, depending on how we answer the first two questions, whether we actually complete the interview or not. It's very specific in there. Um, And so getting familiar with those kinds of things, I think, currently are very important. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's maybe remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about updates to the SNF quality reporting program, which I know you alluded to. I guess it would be helpful maybe for you to remind us what these updates are or, or key ones to your mind and anything you would flag to our listeners regarding process for reporting the measures or any other thoughts or concerns related to uh, the quality reporting program. Sure. The, the rulemaking process that we just went through last spring and fall finalized the adoption of one measure, which will be for beginning with the uh, data for will affect the actual payment for fiscal year 2024, and that's the uh, the influenza vaccination coverage among healthcare personnel. It's NQF number 0431. If you care to look that up on the internet, you can find that at NQF. And it's important, I think, to understand about that particular measure that to meet the minimum data submission requirements, we have to enter a single influenza vaccination summary report at the conclusion of the measurement reporting period. Um, that's different than the initial instructions that indicated that we could submit several reports throughout that period of time and they would be consolidated. That's not the case anymore. So we want to make sure that we understand that. We have to have that one report at the end of the reporting period. Also, CMS finalized a revision to the compliance date for the collection of transfer of health information. So if you remember a couple of years ago, 
Um, we were all uh, sort of steadying ourselves for MDS 3.0 version 1.18.0, which contained essentially the spades that we have in this version, uh, as well as transfer of health information. And that got stopped primarily because of pushback from the industry, but also because CMS realized we needed more time. Uh, and of course, that was when COVID-19 hit. And so they put that off until now, and they have finalized the implementation date of those two new quality measures to October 1st, 2023. So those elements have been added to this version of the MDS and will begin to be collected uh, starting October 1st. So we want to keep in mind, again, as we mentioned the threshold just a few minutes ago, something we want to be concerned about and, and diligent to remember, and that is these thresholds apply now to all of this new information that will be in the MDS so as we think about the NHS, NHSN compliance requirement, 100% of that data necessary for NHSN reporting, well as 100% of the data on 80% of the MDSs for the spades and for the quality measures, this transfer of health information falls in there as well. It's interesting this year, as we began to get towards that period of time where people were getting their non-compliance letters related to SNF quality reporting, that the majority of the individuals, at least that I spoke with and that I had communication with related to the non-compliance letters that came out this year had to do with NHS and data COVID-19 reporting. So both can can come back to bite you in relationship to that 2%. And that 2%, you know, may not sound a lot, but compiled with the other kinds of things that we're dealing with in terms of incentives, we need to be sure that we uh, report the information within these thresholds so that we don't lose uh, 2% of our reduction. This year was interesting because we had a large Market basket up at 5.1%, which was offset essentially by 2.3% reduction for parity. Still a better update than we've had in a long time. In fact, 5.1%, CMS mentioned, was the largest update that they have applied since PPS began. So uh, we had some leverage or leeway this year, but in other years, we haven't so much. So when keep that in mind, 2% can be a significant hit to your, to your bottom line. Uh, also, CMS requested input in the final proposed rule on a couple of other measures that they're considering um, adding to the quality reporting program. First of one was a cross-setting functional measure that would incorporate the domains of self-care and mobility. Then another measure was measures of health equity. Talk about that. We could talk about that for a long time. A lot more discussion to be had on that. Certainly will be things that we'll be dealing with in the future for sure. I would be very surprised if in the proposed and final rulemaking process for 24 that there's not a lot of discussion about that and perhaps even quality measures built for uh, addressing uh, health equity in facilities. And then COVID-19 vaccination coverage that would assess whether SNF patients were up to date on their COVID-19 vaccination. So that's an interesting one as well. And those are sort of mucks, if we call them, measures under consideration related to sort of the updates of the quality reporting program as well. Yeah, great. So I want to be sure we also talk about uh, the value-based purchasing program so maybe let's pivot to that topic now and we can start. Maybe it would be helpful if you remind us there were some new measures that were adopted in the 2023 PPS final rule, I believe. Uh, is that correct? And can you uh, remind us what those measures were? There were quite a bit of discussions on the value-based purchasing program. It's probably one of the biggest changes that have been implemented in the proposed and final rulemaking process for 2023 um, that we've seen in a long time. This certainly was a reaction to, if not a coordinated effort to bring to light some of the concerns that MedPAC had related to the value-based purchasing program, only containing one measure, rehospitalization measure. And so that in the final rule this year, a proposing final rule in response to the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, 
secretary was given the authority to add up to nine new measures to the value-based purchasing program with respect to uh, services furnished after October 1st, 2023. So they made, they were not slow about adding measures. And so the list of measures, if you go back and look at that list of measures that were actually posted in the proposed rulemaking process last year, many of those measures are already being dealt with even within their addition of measures and measures that they're considering to add in future years. So the measures that they added this year, the first one was the, and these two first measures that we'll we'll mention here will affect payment in 2026. So we talked about the value-based purchasing adjustment to your payment, 2% reduction. Uh, This will begin in the process for 2026. So these will be in addition to the rehospitalization measure NQF 2510 uh, that you can look up on the internet as well uh, to know more about that particular quality measure and the value-based purchasing programs. The first one that they'll be adding skilled nursing facility healthcare associated infection requiring hospitalization. And this is an interesting one because you'll probably realize this is also one that we're measuring uh, in our quality reporting program now. So again, we are if not already there, fast approaching a value-based purchasing world in skilled nursing facilities with the implementation of the expanded value-based purchasing program, a quality reporting program, also tied to the five-star rating system, have a significant impact on facility and the value that can be produced in a facility and the value that CMS is pressing facilities to, to produce. And so that's the first one. And one of the things that we have to remember at the value-based purchasing program is not just a reporting program. It is a 2% reduction to your rate. So again, every year, CMS withholds 2% of your payment, essentially, and you earn back to some of that 2% by performing well on the uh, measures that are being enacted. So value-based purchasing measures, rehospitalization, and now for fiscal year 2024, uh, I'm sorry, for fiscal year 2026, beginning with the healthcare-associated infections quality measure as well, or value-based purchasing measure as well. One of the things to remember also about the value-based purchasing program is that, of course, this year, uh, this was something that was finalized again in the final rule this year, is that CMS uh, has suppressed uh, the value-based purchasing uh, incentive multiplier again this year, essentially rebasing everybody to zero so that everybody gets the same payment back this year. It's interesting uh, that we think about that. Everybody at 0% rehospitalizations, that's the best you can possibly do you still lose 0.8% of your rate. And so it's important to understand that being able to get back a portion of that 2% withhold is a challenging effort. Now with the added measures, it will be even more challenging. The second measure that's being added is total nurse hours per resident per day staffing measure. Um, And if that sounds familiar, it is because that's currently being used as well in your five-star rating in terms of part of that staffing uh, algorithm now that adjusts your staffing or your uh, uh, star rating for your staffing. And that's also for fiscal year 2026. And then the third one uh, won't impact payment in 2027. And that is the discharge to community post-acute care measure for skilled nursing facilities, NQF 3481. If that sounds familiar, it should because it is a quality reporting measure that also impacts your five-star rating currently. So again, a lot of coordination between these areas for value-based purchasing true value-based purchasing in the facilities. And these are the areas. One of the other things, too, that I thought was interesting that CMS did this year in relationship to the value-based purchasing program is as they've been looking at the impact of of COVID-19 on things like rehospitalizations, their plan is to 
risk adjust the rehospitalization measure of NQF2510 with uh, some covariate type of adjustments for those individuals who had COVID or a history of COVID. So that's going to be helpful, I think, in terms of leveling the playing field there for the rehospitalization measure. More to come on that, I'm sure. I've not seen anything uh, that's been put out related to that. But then also, CMS is reviewing some other kinds of measures as well for future payment years. Um, And so they're looking at some measures for falls, functional status, to see whether those would be appropriate for value-based purchasing. They also mentioned in the final rule this year that they plan or propose to adopt a staffing turnover measure in the value-based purchasing program in the fiscal year 2024 proposed rule. So we'll see uh, if that materializes uh, come April when that rule is released. Also, they're include, uh, considering the inclusion of the National Health Safety Network, or NHSN, COVID-19 vaccination coverage among healthcare personnel. So that would be another measure potentially that they would be adding. Also, specifically, they requested comments on whether they should consider incorporating adjustments into the SNF value-based purchasing program to reflect the varied patient populations that SNF serves around the country and tie health equity outcomes to SNF value-based purchasing payments under the program. So for both quality reporting and value-based purchasing health equity issues, back to this whole issue of spades that we talked about, social determinants of health in, in particular in relationship to those kinds of issues that will be addressed. And then one of the other things I think that's important for us to consider, because the majority of the data coming out of these programs is MDS or self-reported, CMS has requested feedback or did request feedback last year in the proposed rule and made comment on it in the final rule in relationship to some sort of validation process from the MAX to determine accuracy of the elements coming from the MDS and PBJ in relationship to the quality measures for value-based purchasing and quality reporting. So more on that as well. And they actually said that it might be feasible to implement additional validation uh, procedures beginning with data from the fiscal year 2026 program year at the earliest. So not too far from now in relationship to where we might actually see some other kinds of auditing activity from CMS related to MDS validity. They did this a few years ago. MDS validation process came through and looked at data specifically to the quality measures. A lot of interesting data came out of that report. The same sort of thing, it seems, that they're going to be doing now for quality reporting value-based purchasing. Yeah, great. Thanks for all that information. We're coming up on our time, so um, I can just maybe work in one or two other questions. Maybe I'll just start by saying I know that there are some questions we haven't had time to get to. So are there either any other issues that are top of mind for you that uh, you'd like to bring up here as, as we close or anything else related to whether it's VBP, MDS, any of these topics that we have discussed, um, anything sort of left unsaid that you wanted to share with our listeners? Sure. I think, again, as I mentioned before, the time is of the essence now, so don't wait to begin thinking and learning the new MDS. Get your IDTs together. This has to be an IDT process. Talk about the implementation of the changes, the implications of these changes in particular. With Section GG going away, it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck approach to Section GG, so we want to make sure that doing that well when Section G goes away. So, again, thinking about those kinds of things uh, and working together and asking questions of the MDS so that when training material comes out, you'll be that far ahead. I think that's an important piece for us to remember as well. It's also important, I think, to remember uh, how important our MDS coordinators are to us. And I, I don't say that just because I was an MDS coordinator. I understand the, the uh, importance of that role in the facility. And it's going to be important that we be sure that we care of our MDS coordinators through these changes. Anytime there's a big change like this, it can really cause some ripple effects. And so 
being able to have these folks be able to be on task and doing the job of an MDS coordinator will be paramount with the ripple effects of all of this information uh, that we've been talking about today and how that will affect the different programming. I think finally, the one thing that I would just kind of leave us with as far as additional information might be understanding how important it is to realize that all that we've been talking about today, changes to the MDS, quality measures, value-based purchasing, spades, all of this, is really, again, a broader initiative from CMS's perspective to really press quality into the facilities and to try to see quality come out of the care that we deliver. And it's interesting to see, as we mentioned, that the quality reporting program, value-based purchasing, five-star, all have very similar things happening with them now. Various measures actually finding their way into all of these programs. So we want to make sure that we're paying attention to them, that we are completing the MDS accurately, that we are working within these constructs to develop quality in our facilities that CMS expects so that we can um, see those outcomes that CMS anticipates. And then I think finally, the one thing that I think is important for us to kind of step up a little bit higher and look at more broadly, uh, and that is the cumulative effect of all of these changes really does have a financial impact on the facility. So we may think, well, 2% of out of quality reporting program on my uh, market basket update, well, that's really not that much. Uh, well, I think 2% out of my rate based on value-based purchasing, that's really not a whole lot. I don't pay much attention to that. My parity adjustment, 2.3%, well, that's being offset by our market basket update this year. Wage index updates, a lot of information that happened in that. And final rule, a lot of people uh, experienced some, a decline in their wage indexes this year. And then, of course, as we talked about today, this issue of the five-star rating being adjusted significantly related to the antipsychotic and the uh, schizophrenia issues that will be uh, addressed uh, forthcoming uh, with these new audits. All of this uh, adding up together, and so think about the fact that we have sequestration still intact as well, which is 2%, can add up. And so it does require us to pay attention to it. It requires us to do our diligence uh, and be sure that we are not leaving any stone unturned and that we are spending the time and the effort necessary to uh, be on point on task with these changes that are occurring so that in the end, we can see a great patient care in our sector and continue to see the positive outcomes that we see in skilled nursing. Great. I think that is a great note to end on. So thanks for all this information and insight, Joel. This was a really uh, great conversation. Appreciate the level of detail. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. That does it for this episode of Rethink. I'd like to remind everyone of the upcoming Clinical Executive Conference on April 20th in Washington, D.C. Tickets are now available at skillednursingnews.com forward slash events. Thanks for listening.